Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. When I saw Bradley Cooper's new film, A Star is Born, starring Cooper and Lady Gaga, I didn't feel like I was watching a live concert. I felt like I was at a live concert. Good evening. I saw the film with Dolby Atmos sound and was immersed in the roar of the crowd and energy of the live venues used for the production. Maybe it's time to let the old ways down. Maybe it's time to let the old ways down. How the sound team so effectively put us on those stages with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper and what it was like to collaborate with these huge stars will be the subject of today's debut Behind the Screen podcast. I'm Carolyn Jardina, and for this new series, I'll be talking with cinematographers, editors, composers, visual effects supervisors, and other leading artists that bring the magic of motion pictures to theaters. We'll delve into their art as well as their inspiration. Welcome to the Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen podcast. Warner Brothers' A Star is Born opened last week, and since its world premiere last month at the Venice Film Festival, it's been generating considerable Oscar buzz. The film is a remake of the 1937 drama, which was remade as a musical in 1954, starring Judy Garland and James Mason, and again in 1976, starring Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. The latest version features new original songs and Cooper's fresh approach to putting the audience on the stage, all of which we'll be discussing today with Steve Morrow, the film's production sound mixer. Steve was previously nominated for an Academy Award as part of the sound mixing team on La La Land, and his long list of credits include Get On Up, Little Miss Sunshine, Up in the Air, and Upcoming The Front Runner, starring Hugh Jackman as Gary Hart. Welcome, Steve. Thank you for having me. To start, as there are a number of roles on a sound team, why don't you take a moment and describe the responsibilities of the production sound mixer? Production sound mixing Basically, it's the collection of all the sound on production. So it's sound effects of people coming in and out of doors. It's all the dialogue for the film. It's any of the ambience of the, the areas that you're in. It's different from sound editing. Sound editing is the basically their job is to capture all the sounds that we didn't get, whether it be something specific, something unique, or just something the director wants later on. And then in post-production, the post-sound mixers or the re-recording mixers they take all that sound and put it all together and make it a cohesive sounding film so that that's what you end up hearing in the theater. 
is the work of every sound person coming together. Right. Now, on A Star is Born specifically, since you were on set, your responsibilities were steep. Yeah. There were some large concert venues. Tell us about recording in those locations. Okay, so for A Star is Born, Bradley Cooper really made it clear that he wanted it to sound like a real concert. I mean, he, you know, he never filmed from the crowd, so it was never going to be the point of view of the viewer, you know, of a concert goer. He always wanted it to sound like it was the the musicians or the actors point of view wherever the camera was that's where he wanted it to sound so the goal was to capture the environments in that general sense we filmed at two real concerts the first one was uh, stagecoach which is the concert weekend after coachella finishes so it's kind of the more country western concert willie nelson allowed us to go before him so we, we would basically go in between sets. You know, there'd be a 15 or 20 minute changeover. And if we could squeeze in our production in the middle of those, that's when we got to, to film. Lucas Nelson is his son. He's in the film. He's one of Jack's band members. So I'm guessing that's how we got the access. And he allowed us to go in in front of him. And, uh, you know, his fan base is huge. He had 45, 50,000 people, you know, waiting to, to watch him. And so we basically went up on a weekend and we set up. And the way that we set up for these concert for the live concerts is we only had maybe five minutes to film. So we, you know, kind of tried to do lean and lean and mean on those days, not a heavy track count. We were able to patch into their soundboard that's already there, take a feed from the microphone that Bradley was gonna sing into, and we would send a feed of the music playback that we would play back through the wedge speaker, which is the speaker that the musicians stand in front of and play that back really low, just so that Bradley could hear, not that the audience could hear. And, uh, he would sing and we wouldn't amplify the music at all. We wouldn't amplify his voice. And the crowd got a little confused because, you know, there's, you know, movie star Bradley Cooper singing his heart out and nobody can hear what he's saying. Well, let's Uh, explain the purpose of that. You didn't debut the songs in the movie until, very recently. Right. Yeah. Warner Brothers wanted to make sure, I mean, we all wanted to make sure that the music never got out, you know, because the music is the heart of that movie and you don't want it released a year before or somebody capturing it on their cell phone. people with their mobile. Right. And getting the worst version of the song you could possibly have. So the goal was always to keep that secret. And, and that in itself is a challenge because you're in all these public venues. So we came up with a couple different ways to do it. But at Stagecoach, it was just playing it low through the speaker. Same with Glastonbury. Although in Glastonbury, we went in there, and that, that's the big festival in England. We went in there thinking we'd have eight minutes to film, and the festival was running late, so they only gave us three. So, <laughs> and the goal for us as the, the film company, we wanted to shoot three songs, you know, each song being two and a half minutes each. So that's your eight minutes right there. So realizing we only had three minutes, we had a quick conversation about, well, how much of each song is going to make it in the movie, you know, because you're never going to play eight minutes worth of music, you know, back to back in the film. So you only need a small piece of it. So we decided to play 30 seconds of each song at the festival to get all three songs. And so that's what we did. We edited down the song. And it's the same process at Glastonbury as it was at Stagecoach, we'd give a feed of the music to them. They'd give us a feed of his microphone, and we played through the wedge quiet. The second song we played, we actually played out loud the guitar riff 
so that the crowd could really hear it because it's not going to give away any of the lyrics, not going to give away any of the song, but it's going to look really cool. And the, the crowds are going to cheer and really be excited about it. So in those scenarios, we were able to put microphones out to the crowd so that we could pick up on all their cheering and all their, you know, all the enthusiasm. And the so crowd the, size was? Oh, at Glastonbury, we had 110,000 people. I mean, this was the biggest. It, when the festival happens, apparently it's the biggest city in England, you know, outside of London, you know, size-wise. They have their own police, their own fire. I mean, it's it's an immense I mean, the crowds just go forever. And you came over with just a skeleton crew. For Glastonbury, it was, it was three people. It was uh, Maddie Labatique, the cinematographer, myself, and it was Bradley Cooper, director, actor, you know, writer, producer. <laughs> so, yeah, just the three of us went over there, and we had a, you know, we had from eight minutes down to three, and we had a great time. <laughs> what did you enjoy the most about shooting in these venues? I think on this film, it was a very collaborative experience. There was a familial feeling from the beginning that we were all in it together, that, you know, you want the input. Like at Glastonbury, it was, oh, crap, we have three minutes. What do we do? That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. And, you know, Maddie, our DP, was like, well, I guess we just pick one song. Which one are we going to do? And I just said, well, why don't we do all three songs, but just do 30 seconds of each song? Yep, that's the one. That's what we'll do. Okay, let's do that. And so there's a lot of quick thinking and collaboration in that. And, and that is due to Bradley's openness about how he makes films. You know, he's very inclusive in the way that his process is, which I think makes everybody more comfortable and everybody want to rise up and do the best job they can do. Now, throughout the production, whether that be the live venues or the more intimate settings, mm -hmm. Lady Gaga and Bradley sang all of their own songs yes. during the shoot, which doesn't always happen. That's Tell right. us a little bit about that decision. Basically, the idea at the beginning of the process was that we wanted to capture everything live, all their performances, all their singing. Typically on a, on a normal music movie or on a musical, you would have a playback. You would put out a bunch of speakers and you'd hit play and they'd lip sync. And when you watch it in a theater, you know, you have normal dialogue that, you know, everybody feels is real, is happening. And then all of a sudden, the ambience of the sound changes, the kind of world changes audibly and then they start singing and you go oh okay and it takes the audience out of the movie just for the split second you know so the idea was we don't want that to happen in this movie we want it to feel like we're in the same world all the time and the only way to accomplish that is to have the singing live if you do it to play back it's going to sound fake also lady gaga sounds incredible she can always sing she can always hit those notes and she's used to performing. And she's used to performing. That's her, that's her go-to. I mean, she sings all of her concerts live. She, you know, she's there for the fans because if you're going to pay the money to see her, you don't want to just hear a record being played back and her lip-syncing. What's the point? So that's how we approached the movie is that we wanted everything to be live. And I know that Lady Gaga challenged Bradley to sing live. And, you know, she says, I'll take care of your singing. You take care of my acting. You know, it was in collaboration in that way. And so that's how we did it. I mean, normal films don't have that kind of luxury. It's a challenge to get that, you know, and so the movie lives or, or dies on that process. And Lady Gaga, it sounds like, really drove that Yeah, she was the one that said, this is, how we're, this is how we're doing it, you know, and kind of put out the challenge to, you know, production and, and us, the sound team, to say, look, you know, here's how I want it done. I want it to be live. I want everybody to feel like we're all there in the concert. And so 
those are the ideas that started happening, you know, three, four months before we started filming. Once I was hired, we had various meetings to talk about, okay, how, how do we do it? How do we want to approach it to make sure that the end result was exactly how we wanted it? What was um, it like for you working with her? She's great. I mean, when it comes to acting for Lady Gaga, you just sat there and you were just watching an incredible performance. It's incredible. And also, I have to say, the wardrobe that she was in throughout the movie, if you look, there's a lot of crop tops, a lot of a lot of midriff showing. And to put a, a radio mic on that is, is tough. And every day they would tape that. The, the wardrobe people would take care of it for us um, back at base camp. They would tape her radio mic to the back of her neck. I mean, can you imagine having something taped to your neck for three months? You know, <laughs> I mean, every day I would just <laughs> like I thank the heavens like, oh. Thank you for letting us put this mic here today. You know, that's in itself another element of the challenge of that movie is the wardrobe, which was beautiful, but it, you know, it was tough to Mike. So, but she was great. Every day there was a, a collaboration. Every day there was a different experience with, you know, sometimes the songs would change last minute. And so you'd have to be on your toes. Okay, th this is the song she wants to sing today. Okay, well, that's what we're going to do. And we had, luckily, we had a lot of the songs in advance so we could build the Pro Tool sessions songs we would have all the music and so we would be able to play back the music because that in the end of the day any great musician can play the song but if you have them play it for eight hours straight it's going to be a different speed so the idea in our process was let's play back the music so the musicians mime to that and then we can always record lady gaga and bradley cooper singing live and so that's how we kind of accomplished the the technical side of it to get the musicians in, in sync, but also allowing them to record all their vocals live. Basically, the crew was getting a free Lady Gaga show. I mean, she was playing Allie, she was in that character, but the crew got to hear her singing basically a cappella every day since the music was not amplified in the room. So she would come to set and we would do a sound check so that we could give her an earpiece, which is, you know, it looks like a hearing aid so that she could hear the music and she would get in front of the microphone and we'd do playback of the track and we would kind of get the level that she wanted. Different parts of the song had to be amplified, bring the volume up and down in her earpiece because if she's singing at a normal volume, it's one level. If she starts really belting it out, you have to kind of crank it up so that she can hear over her own voice. So we would do a quick sound check. It would take about five minutes, go through the song a couple times, and then we'd be set and ready to go. And I tell you, working on set, you know, you have a pair of headphones on and you're hearing this beautiful concert in your in your ears. And every once in a while, I take off my headphones and just listen and it would be dead silent except for her singing, you know, or, or Bradley singing a cappella. And it was just such a different feel. I'm off the deep end, watch as I dive in. And the whole crew, every day was just, it, you know, it was one of those things where you come to work excited because you're going to get this concert for the next 45 days, you know, which is just an incredible feeling to be there and to be on stage and just and, and hear the music in that way. Bradley's obviously known for his acting. What was it like working with him as a singer? Well, as a singer, you know, we went into the film knowing how Lady Gaga sounds. Sounds incredible. She can do anything. Bradley, we had a question. Is he going to be able to sing? Can he pull it off? You know, because this is a big challenge for any actor 
to be able to sing, and especially live day after day. And then put on top of that, he's going to direct it. And it's his first directing movie. So, you know, we were all curious, as I'm sure everybody is, how does he sound? You know, and so the first time we heard him sing, he just started singing and it was like, we just kind of sat back and we're like, wow, this is, this is going to be an incredible film. Because when you have a guy that sounds like that, that's not even on the first day of production. You know, you just sit back and you're like, okay, all right, this is going to be, this is going to be one of those movies where you just get to watch incredible performances day after day. And it's not your typical feel where you're like, oh, an actor can sing. Yeah, they're doing all right. You know, they're, they're good for an actor. This is almost like, wow, this guy probably should have gotten into music. His singing's incredible. So you knew you had magic. <laughs> yeah, we knew we had magic. If I could take spirits from my past and bring them here, no, I would, no, I would. Now, I saw the film with Dolby Atmos Immersive Sound, and you really get the sense that you're there. How did the re-recording mixers pull that off? So the re-recording mixers, like I said, that their job is to take all the information that we've recorded and add to it and kind of blend it together and make it cohesive. So we were fortunate that Jason Reuter, one of the re-recording mixers, was on set with us throughout the process. And at the beginning, he was the music editor, and he was there to kind of just oversee what we were doing because what we would send is 61 tracks of audio back to you know, the editing room. And that is a massive amount. I'll give you an example. Like on a normal film, you'll have anywhere from two tracks up to 10, you know, and 10 is an extreme, like, wow, there's eight actors talking in a scene. You know, that's a lot of people. We had six times that, you know, we had 61 tracks of audio. So it was good that he was there to kind of see, okay, this is all the stuff that's coming back to me. You know, he could take his notes so that once he got into the editing room three months later, it wasn't, huh, where do I start? He kind of already had his plan mapped out, which was helpful. And we record all those tracks, which, you know, is essentially all the instruments, all the vocals, all the radio mics. We put out ambient mics so that we could record the atmosphere of the, the venues. And not amplifying any of the music allowed us to record the crowds nice and clean. Alan Murray and his team, he's the... Um, Sound editor. Supervising sound editor. His team was able to come to set a few times to record ambient of the crowds cheering and having a good time. And they would go off sometimes and go, okay, guys, give me some cheering. You know, and that's the sound editors know that on production, we don't have time to stop everybody in their tracks to get some sound, but they can go off and grab these crowd noises. And since the sound wasn't amplified, they were able to get very clean crowds, you know, albeit maybe they were confused because they couldn't hear them singing. But they were able to get all those crowds very clean because none of that music was amplified. So in post-production, they put it all together and they mix it in in Dolby Atmos. And I think what, I think the best way to see the film is is in Dolby Atmos, has the most impact because that's how the, the film was mixed, specifically to hear it that way. But the goal in that is to make it feel like as an audience member, you're not sitting in the audience watching a concert. You're on stage as a musician listening to how you would listen. You know, so the the mixers in post would, if you're closer to the drum set, they'd play the drums a little louder. If you're closer to the bass guitar, they'd play the bass guitar a little louder. 
you know, if you're right, if you're at a close-up of them hitting, you know, the drummer hitting his sticks at the beginning of one of the songs, those sticks are very present. Whereas in a normal film, you would mix the music as music. You know, it's it the perspective doesn't change typically. In this film, the perspective changes depending on where you were on stage. I think that gave it the the sound that, that is resonating with audiences going, wow, I've never heard it like this before. You know, I feel like I'm there. And I'm sure as a musician, any musicians watching a movie go, oh, I've heard this before. You know, where it's like, <laughs> I've been on stage with all this music and it sounds exactly like this. And that was the goal. That was the, the, the goal from the beginning was we want to make this movie sound like everything is live and that you're there at a concert. Because if you can do that, it's seamless for the audience. You know, it may not be... Some people pick up on it. Some people just go, wow, it was incredible. I don't know why. But that was kind of the, the end goal, was just to make it sound like that. So that's the re-recording mixers were in charge of taking all the information, all the sounds, all the atmospheres that, that we got, that Sound Editorial got, and put it all together and mix it so that the audience just has a seamless experience watching movies. Because the last thing you want in a drama is to pull the audience out by something that sounded funny or even, you know, image-wise, if it looked funny, something didn't quite match. It happens all the time. You watch a movie and all of a sudden you go, huh, that was weird. You know, and you don't know why, and it, but it's subconscious sometimes. And so the, the goal is just to make it, you know, when you come out of that theater, if you're not tearing up, <laughs> then we didn't do the job right. There's also some delicate sound editing in the film. For instance, when Bradley Cooper's character, Jackson Maine, has tinnitus. So Alan Murray, supervising sound editor, told me the story and if you watch the film, you'll hear Jackson Maine's character getting a hearing test. In the film, he has tinnitus. He can't really hear. So they took the hearing aid machine that you heard in the movie, and they recorded the hearing aid machine, you know, brought it into the studio and recorded it. That's an example of sound editing where you're taking the audience into the main character's experience where his hearing loss is, is there, and he's isolated just like the audience doesn't hear the outside world. We just hear his tinnitus. We hear the, the tones and beeps. You know, and if you're sitting in a room with a guy that's having a hearing test, that's not what we hear as an audience. But that's the key to that sound editing in post-production where you get to put this character in that moment with the audience. So we feel as isolated as Jackson Maine did in that moment. You know, until he takes those headphones off, the world is that hearing aid machine. The world is quiet. And, and it has that ringing in his ears, which the audience experiences. And that's only through sound editing that you can experience that as an audience member. So for your fellow sound mixers, would you describe some of the technical details of the process? Sure, yeah. I mean, I instead of going crazy into details of how specific the gear is, like I said, typically we do you know eight to ten tracks at the most on a regular film. On this one, it was 61. And so that we had to bring a, an extra mixing board. Each mixing board that we use can do 32 tracks. So we had two of them that we kind of stacked on top of each other. We would mic, as it was a live concert, you would mic all the drums, steel guitar, the acoustic guitar, electric guitar, the singers. In addition to that, we also deployed a surround sound mic in the audience, microphones, you know, kind of in the venue to get the space, the sound of the space. Along with that is their radio mics, and the playback was a Pro Tools rig that uh, Nick Baxter on set would run and, and be the, our on-set music editor. And so combined with all that, it ended up being 61 tracks of audio. And the reason we do 
as many microphones as you do is because you want to have a recording of how that room sounds, you know, because like your old car stereo, like your own home theater, you know, you have the different settings like church or hall, you know, and it kind of gives it its own echo and reverb. We didn't want to just plug in the standard EQ settings. We wanted to create our own for each venue so that the music sounded different in every single venue, which it would. And so that was the way that we did it by deploying all the microphones we had and kind of recording the room in the right, you know, echo and reverb and size. That's how we got the crazy 61 track out. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Really glad you were able to come in and talk to us. Congratulations on the film. No, thank you very much. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.